and welcome to episode number 469 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this week's pack show, uh, 1737 takes a licking but keeps on rolling, an A380 has a run-in with a drone and even airline CEOs get their hands dirty. In the military news this week, the Ukraine is finally getting those F-16s they've been asking for and a new blended wing design gets to go ahead for development. So joining me this week across the field, well, not across the fields, across the village <laughs> here in the lovely village of Bungie in Suffolk is, of course, Matt Smith. Hello, hello, hello. Yes, I wasn't supposed to be here today, but here I am, spoiling here, you. Everywhere. Spoiling yes, I, I, ne- Nev and I'm under a particularly relief because it means I'm back in charge of the studio. <laughs> I could I could virtually <laughs> sense the chat room thinking, I wonder whether they'll get on air this week. <laughs> Apprehensive, I think is the word. Yes. Uh, but uh, yes, yes, happy to be with you. Uh, happy to be with you. Change of plans, as I say. But uh, yeah, happy to be here. Yes, you're you're off to go meet John, aren't you, tomorrow, Matt? Yes, all being well. Yes, absolutely. I'm gonna try. I've got a I've got a show, another show to record before I go to bed. Uh, <laughs> but yes, that's that's. Oh, the you'll plan. be fine. Yeah, yeah, you'll be fine. And uh, joining us from across the fields, the glens, the rivers, the stately homes, across over in the glorious countryside of Buckinghamshire, is, of course, our connoisseur of all things seat 1A and BA. It's Neville Bounds. Yes, we had a bit of 1A experience this week. I'm pleased to say went even further west to Ireland, uh, which was very nice. Had a couple of days off there uh, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. And actually the weather behaved itself, which is slightly unusual for what? that part of the world. <laughs> yes, it wasn't wasn't too bad at all. Um, and uh, But yeah, had a great time. A couple of friends I hadn't seen for ages. But as I will talk about later on, I need to talk about BA and boarding and oh. could we do it properly and things like that. But well, um, I'll, I'll leave that until a, a little later on in the show. Ooh, I'm, I'm terrified <laughs> at the mere prospect. I'm, I don't know anything about it, so I'm looking forward to this. I really I, I've, I've consulted my legal counsel. And oh, no. Okay. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. no. I wish I wasn't here now. Sorry. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> and also, he's back on the show this week, as in he's back. Not a video. He's actually live. He's, he's here in human form. It is, of course, our fantastic pilot of the show. It's Armando. Hey, guy. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just... Oh, <laughs> I'm just... Why would you do uh, that? That's just it. Cause it's That's been, it. Carlos, it's been... you're gonna... Sorry, no, Carlos, get in your car. Come here. I'm going home. That's it. Done. I'm out. Uh, it's just been so long since I've been on the show live that I wanted to, you know, give uh, yeah, Matt his for... heart attack yeah, yeah, yeah. early yeah, in the yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. I don't need your help on that front. Thank you. Hi. Reporting live from Knoxville, Tennessee. It's a beautiful little town from the... Uh, uh, where am I? The Embassy Suites. Uh, it's nice to be on the show again. How have things been, Amanda? You obviously been you've been missing for a few weeks, but you've been obviously doing tons of flying. The hangar that I took you to, Carlos, that had all the jets and the Pilatus and all that stuff. I now fly four airplanes in that hangar. Um, <laughs> so it's uh, like the opposing bases guys say. The penguins are literally just jumping off the iceberg now, uh, having to go back and forth between the hawker, which has picked up the Pilatus, which has backed down a little bit. Now we picked up the 206. So I've been getting reacquainted with the G1000 and flying the, that's Turbo 206. 
And then of course there's uh, old bear, the, our little super cruiser just been flying almost every day. It's actually nice to have a day off now. How, how is the 206 Armando? Uh, man, it uh, is interesting. It's a beautiful airplane. This is a 2006. It has uh, TKS panels, so it's got full anti-ice capabilities, uh, hot prop, the whole deal. Uh, this particular aircraft came from South Texas, where the previous owner was flying into Mexico. So it's actually got a grand total of 120 gallons of fuel. Uh, that means that this airplane can fly for nine hours. <laughs> so that's a lot of gas. It's a really great, nice 310 horsepower engine. But I'll tell you what, it takes a lot of rudder with that much power and torque. So it's I'm glad I'm a tail wheel pilot because flying a turbo 206 is uh is a lot like uh taking off and landing in a tailwheel wow yeah and you can't see I'm anything out the front so it's real nose high i'm guessing it's quite plush inside as well armando compared to the cub yes very very nice inside six seats we took this third row out so we've got it in a four seat configuration but the first thing we put in there was a air conditioning system like one of those portable it's in a yeti cooler and it plugs into a 12 volt cigarette lighter plug uh, because summer in South or South Carolina, summer in North Carolina is uh, pretty much like the face of the sun. So that was the first thing that I bought for it, that and sunshades. Oh, wow. Well, we look forward to hearing more about the, uh, the 206 and the adventures that you're bound to have. Uh, well, the, the great well. thing is now when Matt shows up, we have a airplane that we can take uh, wherever we want to go, and Matt will actually be comfortable in it. Yeah, I'm looking forward quite, to hearing those quite, reports, Matt. Quite excited by yeah. the sound of that. Where are we going? Anywhere nice? <laughs> Beach or mountains, your choice. The, the, ooh, ooh. Decisions, Matt. It's horrible, isn't it, to have this oh, level of fun? Surprise me, I think. That's the thing. I mean, I don't know America, so you, you take me to somewhere where you think it's amazing. That's what I'm saying. <sighs> All right. We got a, we got another month to figure it out, so we'll we'll come up with something. That's scary, by the way. Just saying, I can't. I mean, I feel like this has been in the offing for I don't know how long, and to think that it's literally, well, literally, what a, a, a month and a few days away. It's that's really scary. It'll soon come around. <laughs> I know. I know. You'll soon be there. I'm so excited. So we're going to say hello to everyone who's joined us in the chat room this evening. Some of which, well, some of whom have been in there quite early this evening uh richard adams hello to you mazoose uh, our local listener mazoose good to see you in there shorty cosgrove uh, good to see you in there shorty Aww. uh we have got uh let me scroll down oscar is also in there good to see you in there oscar uh hobby time uh hello to you richard e flag uk airfields hello to you good to see you now in there, well, I, I met richard actually at the old buckingham balloon oh. festival uh, oh. which was nice yeah we had a lovely chat uh see i told you you've got fans matt no it's not you. no not not that at all but as i say as i say it was it was great to actually sort of catch up um and we we, we didn't get a chance to talk sort of do much talking sadly because i was right in the middle of doing uh some on-air bits and pieces at the time but uh yeah we we, we had a chance for a bit of a catch-up so yeah and captain ridiculous wits Good to see you in the chat room as well. This is our main man, Uncle Micah, is also in the chat room. Hello Aww. to you. Jonathan Warner, our resident military 
aviation photographer is also there as well. Good to see you in there. And uh, actually, Matt's picture behind him on the green screen is courtesy mm. of Mr. Warner. The Indeed, Thank you yeah, for that. absolutely. Also, uh, I, I was going to say, he does occasionally take uh, like commercial aviation photographs as well, but they're more by mistake. <laughs> there we go this is the picture that's behind me for for those of you watching on youtube absolutely beautiful i think it was in switzerland he took this from what i uh, from what he was saying but uh, yeah sorry uh, masha do, do carry on. hello to you as well in there this evening good to see you masha alex is in there hello to uh, alex as well uh captain cruz uh paul tricker hello to paul one of our local listeners as well saw paul at the old button and balloon festival as well yes oh, he did he did message me he did message me <laughs> Uh, let me scroll down, make sure I don't miss anyone. Uh, Armando's in there. It's always good to see Armando in there. I've heard of him. He's blue spanner of doom, wielding, ready to uh, attack the boss. Nev, you've got a blue spanner as well, haven't you? Nev has, yeah. Yeah, that's all right. That's fine. Yeah, and our our main man, Mike, has also got his blue spanner. There's blue spanners everywhere. Good, good. Well, when those bots arrive, we need plenty of people on it, you see. We do, we do. So if you are listening to us on the audio podcast, don't forget we are live every Friday night here on YouTube, 7 o'clock. Uh, look for us on YouTube, Plain Talking UK. Don't forget to hit the subscribe and that bell icon to be notified when we are live recording new episodes like we are right now. Because we'd love to have you in our chat room with all our family members. So loads of news to get through. Plus, uh, Nev, I think you've got a book as well, haven't you, Nev? You're uh, giving yes. what, what to tell us about or... <laughs> Uh, well, we, we're going to be giving away uh, oh. this book, but um, there have been several different answers in the uh, quiz this week. A bit of controversy, so I'm, I've been um, working out what I can do, and I've got a plan how I can keep everybody happy. Oh, okay. On. I like that. Yeah. Interesting. So, if all the team are ready? Yes, I think so. Let's go. The captain has turned on the seatbelt light. Please take your seats and fasten your seatbelts. the aircraft saying it <laughs> <laughs> ah there you go Carlos hello so I, I couldn't hear the music I couldn't hear my cue oh. uh, first story this week in uh, the commercial news one mile at a time.com this comes from uh, to us from and uh, Armando I'll be interested to hear your take on this uh, story it, it broke this week on the news there was many pictures and videos on social media as well and it's all about the Alaska Airlines 737 that had a rather I'm going to put this heavy landing this week. The incident happened on Sunday, the 20th of August, and involved the Alaska Airlines flight AS1288 from Seattle to Santa Ana. Uh, the flight was operated uh, by a nearly 15-year-old Boeing 737-800 with a registration November 516 Alpha Sierra. Uh, the two-hour and 39-minute flight was routine until it came to land at John Wayne Airport. There were heavy winds and storms in southern California, making for a challenging conditions landing at the airport. It's also worth keeping in mind that Santa Ana Airport has one of the shorter runways used by commercial jets at just 5,700 feet long. Around 11.15 local time, 
the aircraft landed so hard that the left landing gear punctured the wing of the aircraft and eventually the left side gear collapsed uh, quite a bit leading to the left hand engine cowling dragging along the runway fortunately no one was injured however the aircraft could no longer move once it was on a taxiway so passengers had to be deplaned by stairs and then taken to their terminals by bus while aviation is incredibly safe uh, we do see major incidents like this often uh, when they happen they can't help but wonder whether the aircraft involved will be fixed or written off assuming the aircraft is going to be fixed it's a question of what the aircraft's value is over how much it will cost to fix those of you watching on youtube you'll see the video there of the landing for what it's worth this particular 737 being nearly 15 years old is one of alaska's oldest aircrafts uh, far from the oldest is seattle-based carrier it has some 20 year old plus aircraft in their fleet so looking at the damage on the uh, aircraft itself armando what's your take on uh, obviously we've got the video of the landing and there was also i think a discussion uh, on various social media sites as to the weather conditions on this particular flight but what's what's your take yeah this uh, happened well actually i've spoken about john wayne Santa Ana airport uh, orange county airport before it was actually just a couple of weeks ago we were talking about it and i was using it as an example of one of the shortest runways that commercial airlines use regularly. Um, I was talking about uh, flying the Pilatus in there a couple of weeks ago and with uh, United, American, Alaska, you know, they're all taking their Airbuses and, and 737s in there. I think we were talking about performance limitations and density altitude about three episodes ago. So on a clear, calm day, Santa Ana is already challenging for a 737. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure if it's a, a special qualification or a special checkout for Alaska Airlines pilots, but uh, yeah, it's already challenging to begin with. And then this took place well during Tropical Storm Hillary, which was actually hitting uh, the LA area at that time. So with the challenging runway at night and the constantly changing winds, um, I'm actually surprised that the aircraft stayed on the runway. One of the things that I noticed is from the video that the passenger took, as well as the uh, pictures from the damage afterwards, when the left main gear strut punch punctured the top of the wing, uh, there's a lot of tubes uh, going through there. There's a lot of electrical. There's uh, probably hydraulic lines that are operating the flaps as well as the spoilers or the speed brakes. So I couldn't really tell from the video, but I think the speed brakes may actually have had a little bit of trouble coming up um, because it was, it was I, I would venture to say that it was uh, punctured a lot of those lines as the nose, as the uh, main gear came up through the wing. Um, this is an interesting one. I think this airplane can be uh, repaired, but this, I would put it kind of on the edge of whether it's going to be written off or not, depending on the on the damage. I mean, a 15-year-old plane is not that old, is it, in terms of, um, you know, it's, it, well, it's sort of, it's, I'd say it's sort of in the middle of its life, isn't it? I mean, 25 years to 30 years is not unusual, is it, for a, for a like, 7.3 or a 7.4? No, not at all. In, in fact, it, I... Sometimes I question why they put that in there. It's kind of irrelevant to the story. Mm. The the air the airframe 
may be 15 years old, but these aircraft go through major landing gear overhauls every mm. couple of years anyways. So the landing gear itself might only be a year old or two years old. So it's kind of an irrelevant fact in there about the age well, of the and, airplane. You know, and I mean, the, 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 the maintenance schedule is very sort of full on, isn't it? I mean, it's, uh, if there's, if, if it even so much as needs a washer changing, then it, it's just done, isn't it? That's the, that's the way yeah. it goes as part of inspections and stuff. So it's a bit like when, when they do news stories and they say that, you know, such and such from dis aged 48 was arrested for, and you think, what's that? <laughs> got to do it's a bit like that you know yeah. what on earth has that got to do with with anything at all the 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 aircraft or indeed person's age is completely irrelevant in almost all of these situations nev do you remember yeah. that triple seven that that crashed at heathrow um you know back it was at uh yes 2000s and yes. that triple seven had the same thing with the uh gear punching through mm. the wings but they they ripped that aircraft off that triple seven yes end, it's worth they? remembering that five thousand eight hundred feet is the same runway length as in jersey the channel islands and ah. carlos you may remember the landing that we did in uh, uh in jersey on that runway uh, runway 27 uh, in on a perfectly clear day and i think we touched down within the touchdown zone <clears throat> and it was a lot of stopping uh, <laughs> going on before we Aggressive just breaking, about yeah. made the last turn off for the um to go on to the ramp <clears throat> but imagine that if that had been an, a very bad day weather wise yeah. that would have been seriously challenging wouldn't it yeah yeah it's a on such a short runway you're not uh, i hate to say this for the passenger's sake but you're actually not trying to grease it on you're not trying to yeah. do a smooth landing that that runway you're trying to put the aircraft on the ground uh get it into reverse get the the speed brakes up and get it slowed down in the shortest amount of possible amount possible but uh, no we always brief up on short runways on the jets uh hey this is going to be a firm landing the idea is to get it on the ground uh, make sure your speed is under control so uh there's no float so because even five knots above your ref speed much less 10 knots above your ref speed will make you float a, a good thousand feet depending on on your weight of the aircraft I was just and you don't have was, a thousand yeah i was just thinking as well that of course the um importance of speed brake deployment as well uh is very key because unless you've killed the uh, lift over the wings uh, the brakes will be completely ineffective, presumably, uh, yeah. once you try to get the thing stopped. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you need all those things, especially on such a short runway. Yeah. And that's where the the weather conditions, if they whipped, if the winds whipped around uh, during that tropical storm and a uh, five-knot headwind turned into a seven-knot tailwind, while you're already flying at ref speed right on the uh, critical angle of attack, you're you're going to... That something like this could happen. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, Nev, you've got the next story, and uh, normally it would be a, a Matt with a Ryanair story, but this is Nev with a BA and Ryanair story and EasyJet oh, story. Dear. Well, yes, and there's more trouble here, and I, and I uh, it just <laughs> makes me cross. Um, this is on the metro.co.uk. Ryanair, British Airways, and EasyJet ban specific kinds of carry-on bag. Uh, there's a new carry-on bag rule to keep in mind as airlines implement a new ban. B 
BA, EasyJet and Ryanair have all banned a specific type of suitcase, so travellers beware, because some have already had their flight plans disrupted as a result of not knowing about the new restrictions. Some kinds of smart bags or luggage with built-in electronics equipping them to do things like charge devices, uh, become a Wi-Fi hotspot and connect to Bluetooth have been banned from these companies' planes. The rules vary from airline to airline, but for instance, BA will not allow any smart bag in either the hold or the cabin if you cannot take the lithium power pack or battery out of it. If you're planning to carry your smart bag in the cabin, you must be able to easily remove the power source, but it can remain in your bag whilst you're in the air. If you're planning to put your smart bag in the hold whilst you're in the air, the bag's power source will need to be removed and carried with you into the cabin. On Ryanair, you'll have to take the battery pack out and keep it uh, out whilst you're in the air, whether you check the luggage or carry it on with you in the cabin. If you can't take the battery out, you can't take the bag with you. And if you can't take the battery out, you won't be allowed to fly with the bag. If you want to check the bag into the hold, you'll have to remove the power source and carry it into the cabin with you separately. Uh, as for taking a smart bag as a carry-on, you'll need to remove the battery pack, but as long as it's disconnected, you'll be able to store it within said smart bag. Now, do you think this is going to assist with the speed of boarding and the grounds staff and all the rest of it? I think it's absolutely horrific. All this business about... Uh, now, we know why they're doing it, because of the problems with lithium-ion batteries, but um, it's just another thing to get in the way of trying to get on the aircraft. Speaking of which, uh -oh. um, <laughs> this week I flew to the Emerald Isle, lovely Dublin uh, and the Environs. Um, I, I, feel like, I, I, feel like, I feel like John should well, be here for this. <laughs> no, I'm glad he's not because he'd okay. tell me to shut up. Oh, okay. <laughs> Go on, carry on. on the way out, okay, we're doing the usual thing and there's so many announcements going on at the boarding gate. It's just endless and they want to check 30 bags into the hold because there's too many, uh, they claim there are too many pieces of hand luggage to go in an A319. Absolute rubbish. There's plenty of room. If you put some underneath the seats, there's loads of room. So that was one thing. So it was a, a delay in boarding. How, how surprising. But also 30 odd people went ahead of me who were not necessarily um, premium passengers in terms of the what they had paid for their flight. And BA say, well, we'll check it in for free. Well, you can check it in for free anyway. BA don't charge for um, baggage. <laughs> so that's one thing. And then coming back, of course, we had the same, I nearly said a very bad word there, oh, no. the same uh, incident on the way back from Dublin. But this time they go for group one. Myself and Mrs. Nev. Oh, we'd like to check your bag in. I'm going, well, that's very kind. You can forget that because it'll get lost at Heathrow. We'll be delayed by another 20 minutes. Why don't you have a word with Group 6? See if they would like to check their bags in. And then, just to cap it all, there's a fella behind us who's clearly a positioning crew for JetBlue because he's got his tag on and it says JetBlue Crew Boston. So clearly he's on a positioning flight from Dublin to Heathrow to go back to wherever JetBlue are going from, from Heathrow. And even he gets asked by the ground staff, would he like to check his bag in? Oh, for goodness <laughs> sake. 
seriously, what is wrong with these people? Clearly, a positioning member of crew does not want to be buggering about, no. if I'm allowed to use that word, waiting for his now. checked bag to go out of the other end. Honestly, the, 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 some of the policies that are going on, people are just taking leave of their senses, and somebody has to take a sensible pill because all this is doing is causing a lot of delay and uh, customer dissatisfaction, no matter what uh, class of travel you're in. So, um, is, is this is yeah. some of this potentially Nev perhaps inexperienced crew? Do you think? Or? No, no, no. It, it's all about the policy. Uh, the, the policy is they want to check in as many bags as they can uh, right. so they don't have congestion within the uh, cabin. But there's, on the way back, again, we were on an A320neo. Wasn't full at all. I would guess, let's say it was 80% full. Plenty of room in the, in the cabin, uh, overhead bins. Plenty of room in the... Um, uh, underneath people's seats and actually in the case of the business class section I think there was about 10 rows of business class so the middle seat is actually blocked out so that seat yeah. is not sold so there's even more room to put people's bags yeah. in and it just uh, and I say to capital they actually said to a member of crew who was traveling in civilian clothes but clearly this fellow was an operating member of crew I would say he was a senior first officer or cabin mm. or, or captain just by looking at him and um, clearly he didn't get his badge off of eBay you know um, <laughs> and, and it was on his luggage so it was quite obvious that he was an operating uh, crew member but um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I just find it extraordinary. Uh, actually, you say, saying that, that Nev, though, I mean, can you imagine the story that he's telling his colleagues when, when he gets back to to base? I mean, that that ain't going to go down well in terms of PR. No, but to be fair to him, and I think Jeff has said this. Uh, I think probably Armando said this previously as well. That when you're operating, uh, if you're on a positioning flight, um, and you're dressed smartly and you're you know you're still representing your airline at the end of the day you do not sort of kick off in in those no. situations and this gentleman behaved absolutely impeccably even for an american if i can <laughs> say that. um and uh you know but how ridiculous to even mm -hmm. think about uh, i mean the, the bit you mentioned about inexperienced crew mm -hmm. uh, ground staff maybe i don't know but uh, in this case it was quite obvious that this gentleman is operating a flight uh, or always deadheading back somewhere and you do not ask them to check their bags in particularly as his bag was even smaller than mine so you know there we are yeah it was like a normal crew bag you know where you put all the maps in when they used to have maps and back in the what, day. one day nev they'll learn i think one day they'll learn i'm, I'm they'll, looking forward I'm to the, hearing armando's American i say, and, we'll, and we'll hear <laughs> Well, 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 one day they'll see Mr. Nev Bounds on the sheet and then they'll be very well behaved and do everything they're supposed to. No, they won't. They'll just make it worse. They go, oh, here, here he is again. Right, oh, hard. right yeah. okay. So, uh, oh, the, there, any thoughts? <laughs> the show title already is, okay. is going to be the one where Nev and Armando agree on everything. Whoa! Because... Whoa. I, I need a fanfare. Let me... <laughs> <laughs> so as we said at the top of the show i've been traveling a lot recently and a lot of that has been commuting repositioning of airplanes and um much like nev i'm executive platinum on american airlines that's not a badge of honor that just means i work too much right like i'm not happy about that but uh just i don't know what has changed recently if i could 
piggyback onto Nev's rant here, where I generally tend to board group one. And I was in, I've gone through Dallas and Phoenix a couple of times and Austin connect on connecting flights. I don't understand what is going on at American Airlines where there must be 60 people boarding in group one. I know there's only 18 first class seats and I don't understand what's going on if the, if the gate agents have been told don't argue I know there's people going through that are later groups and exactly what Nev is talking about. People now know that they can take their bag through security and that American Airlines is going to say, hey, we've oversold the flight. You're it's completely full. We were happy to check your bag to your final destination. And that just creates chaos at the at the counter, at the gate. And then those people tend to slide over into the priority boarding lane and it's just chaos right now and and then and then we're gonna flip this around because i have a a rant about american airlines Ooh. a little bit later uh it's a busy old show isn't it <laughs> <laughs> i i couldn't agree with you more nev and you know the, the, you just try to the, the um th this happened on the flight to edinburgh um some weeks ago and it was so delayed at the gate that the captain if you could see steam coming out of somebody's ears this was the fella <laughs> coming back off the aircraft up to the gate and asking the uh, gate staff what on earth they were playing at i think those are the words he used anyway right um, and uh, because he now lost his slot uh, because of this yeah. unnecessary delay and, and congestion at the gate as if we'd never boarded an aircraft before <laughs> Uh, Captain Cruz in the chat room does say he can't blame the airlines uh, for endeavoring to have large hand luggage checked in when you see how stupid people are storing their luggage in overhead bins uh, properly and inefficiently, not to mention under seat space. Yeah, I mean, it is, it, it's pretty bananas to see what people consider carry-on luggage nowadays. And uh, the low-cost carriers here in the U.S. do check. They have the little, you know, the sizing bins at the gate. But I think the majors and the legacies are not really doing that unless it's really absurd. So, oh, oh man, another rant. 737 overhead bins. People can't just figure out. It goes on its side. It goes on its side. Just put it on its side. <laughs> Don't lay it flat. Put it on its side. There's even a picture there. Put it on its side. <laughs> like... <laughs> oh, dear. There's a couple of grumpy people on today's show, aren't there? Oh, my oh. Uh, I think we we need to, to, to vent sometimes. <laughs> we use this as our platform for doing so. Yeah, That's it. Anything liquid in aloha. Just Kona, a... big wave, liquid aloha. That's going to make me feel better. Anything, yeah. in, anything in the chat room, actually? Anybody saying anything in terms of uh, uh, that is... Uh... No, is is the short answer. Uh, okay, fair enough. Uh, Paul, Paul, uh, Paul T is uh, Paul Trigger, or actually Paul T, I should say, is yeah. saying in the chat rooms that he's uh, he's missed, really missed attending these live shows. <laughs> yeah, so have I. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm sure I'm sure you'll have uh, more stories. Both of you will have some more stories to come. I expect in the uh, not too distant future. But we have got an incredible story next, Armando, about a certain airline that uh, we we all used to love, know and love. Yeah, in the reboot, 
uh, Monarch Airlines, the iconic British airline that ceased operations, sadly, in 2017, has recently announced that it's going to relaunch after a successful transferring of new ownership and this six-year pause. Wow, I can't believe it's been six years. We were doing like we were doing this show when this happened. Yeah, um, the the company is now promoting itself as a premium alternative to competing low-cost leisure carriers in the UK. Uh, and it has revealed some details about its imminent relaunch to Airways magazine via an exclusive interview with Daniel Ellingham, the chairman of the board at Monarch. At the time of the writing, Monarch is beginning to phase their operational comeback and has received some initial investments with firms in the European Union and the United Kingdom. As of August of 2023, Monarch Airline has actually taken its first steps towards the goal of operating revenue flights. The carrier has secured crucial investors both nationally in the UK, as well as internationally in the neighboring European Union. On the other hand, no official operating certificate application has been sent to the CAA. Uh, they do expect to make initial contact with the CAA in the next three to four weeks. Uh, as well, Monarch has just initiated its promotion and advertisement on various online platforms, such as Instagram, Twitter X. I like that, just Twitter X. Twitter we'll just X. call it both. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as well as launched an official Facebook account and reactivated a website under the brand name Let's Monarch, which is the official nickname that has been chosen for its social media. And along with the launch of Monarch Airlines, the company stated that there will be an accompanying Monarch Holidays venture in the form of an online travel agent, and this will be completely integrated into the airline business. Uh, so we're looking at a consolidated fleet of about 35 aircraft, uh, all Airbus A320s, and a single Boeing 737-800. Um, there you go. So, so I think... Everyone in the chat room is saying the exact same thing, which is, well, shall we call up Captain Al? Yeah, absolutely. Now, for, forgive my... Uh, so can anybody remember... Carlos, you remember useless information like this, so you may be able to tell me. Um, how many aircraft did they have prior to collapse, roughly? I mean, they, they had... I think their fleet was nearly 40 aircraft, mainly Airbus. Right. So it's not um, a million miles away from. From no, I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, they. I mean, back in the day, Monarch operated. Uh, you quite a, a, a well different, a diverse fleet. Monarch even mm. operated the DC-10. Did they in the <laughs> early nineties? Yeah, they had a DC-10. Used to fly yeah. out of Manchester, I think. Um, I mean, I flew with Monarch a number of times when I was, you know, a child and that, and I can always remember. There was always something about Monarch that was different to to the low cost carriers like Ryanair and EasyJet. Monarch was always that kind of more family focused airline. Like the yeah. crews were more, I don't know, more um, engaging. I should say with passengers. Mm. Monarch. Yeah. I think Jet but, Two probably are the closest to, to yeah. what Monarch used to be. I, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I think Richard Flag and the chat room is saying the same thing they were always a good name in the industry and i remember hearing not hearing about but learning about monarch the first time i moved to the uk in 2005 and it was certainly i never i never got to fly on monarch but uh always had a really good reputation mm. 
Well, and also, you know, I mean, I mean this in, in a very positive way. Um, you wouldn't have had Captain Al flying for them so long if they weren't, you know, a, a decent company to work for and you know and and doing things right and and that because the one person you know who will tolerate you know poor who won't tolerate any poor standards would be captain al so let's let's hope that continues actually yeah, any, of course i was gonna say for anyone who lives in manchester they've actually got the nose and forward section of um one of uh, monarch's dc10s there for visitors to look around um <laughs> uh, the of course, this is good for jobs, too. If Monarch makes a comeback, their bases were, what, Luton, Birmingham, Gatwick, Manchester, Leeds, Leeds, Bradford, right? So if they are able to establish those bases again, slowly or incrementally, then, you know, great for the job market in those cities. Yeah, things are picking up. I think if, if, they, if they can get going and survive, you know, Things are on a turn, I think, within the aviation industry. Matt, you've got uh, the next story and good news for uh, Dubai. Indeed. Uh, it is uh, in aviationweek.com. That is the publication. And the headline is Dubai International Airport Tops 2019 Passenger Levels in H1 2023. Now, I did say, didn't I? I think, Nev, when it was just you and I, I was saying about this, I think because it was, I'm trying to think, was it Stansted, I think it was, that was now at pre-pandemic levels? And I did say to you then, I have no doubt that we're going to be hearing reports from loads of airports off the back of this about, uh, you know, things returning back to normal. Yep, absolutely. Indeed. Uh, Dubai has uh, joined the club then, essentially. Uh, Dubai International Airport pushed past 2019 passenger numbers levels in the first half H1 of 2023 with India as the top destination country for the airport during the six-month period. Uh, DBA, DXB, sorry, uh, or Delta X-Ray Bravo, that's the airport code, is it not? I think. Yes, it, it is. is here, uh, handled 41.6 million passengers in H1. So that is that the first quarter. So that's the first three months of this year, essentially. Is that right? First, first half of the year. First half. Wow, okay. Uh, Which is still a huge number, isn't it? 41.6 million passengers, just above the 2019 levels and up 49.1% over the 27.9 million passengers handled at the airport in the first six months of 2022. Uh, DXB, the home hub of Emirates Airline, handled the fifth most passengers in the world in 2022. I feel like I should do that like Clarkson in the world, uh, including more international passengers than any other airport, according to the Airports Council International World. DXB CEO Paul Griffiths said that in a statement, the airport is increasing its forecast for the full year, projecting it will handle 85 million passengers for the 12-month period, which would be 1.6% below full year 2019 levels. The airport had previously forecast it would handle 83.6 million passengers in 2023. India was DXB's top destination country in H1 2023 with 6 million passengers flying between Dubai and Indian destinations. Saudi Arabia 3.1 million passengers and the UK not far behind at 2.8 million passengers followed. Uh, The 
top city for DXB traffic in H1 was London. 1.7 million passengers where Emirates served Gatwick, Heathrow and Stansted airports. Mumbai and... Um, and um, Is it Radar? Radar? Sorry. Riyadh. Riyadh, my apologies. Uh, around 1.2 million passengers each followed. Uh, DXB notes it is connected to 257 destinations across 104 countries via 91 airlines. The airport says baggage volume in H1 2023 37.2 million check bags handled was up by 7% over the first six months of 2019. DXB notes 92% of bags were delivered to passengers within 45 minutes. DXB said that it is optimistic, it is optimistic I should say, about the levels of demand in the second half of the year and foresees a strong 2023-24 Northern Hemisphere winter season. Well, there we go. I have to say I love love fly with me and Jammer have flown through dubai airport a number of times and mm. it's such an airport to go through they've, they've got a blooming lake that flows through part of the terminal building it's uh it's quite the um quite the uh, thing sorry see. say that again like an actual lake like a, like a flowing water that goes through part of the um terminal building where you can sit and eat it's quite um stunning what? It's, it's phenomenal. Insane. The airport, the airport is amazing. It really is. The only problem is it's so blooming big that if you've got to go, if you're connecting a flight from from somewhere to another place, and you have to go far, there is a you know a number of trains and stuff. You know the underground kind of shuttle trains you have to get on to go from point A to point B. But it's a stunning airport. It really is. It really is a stunning airport. Nev, we, we've uh, transited through there, haven't we? Me and you. We did, yes, yeah, and it's uh, well, it just grows all the time, doesn't it? Huge, huge airport, but very nice too. I did like the uh, uh, atmosphere, despite how big it is. It never seemed that busy because it's just so vast. So vast, yeah, yeah. So next story is coming to us from BBC.co.uk. And North Korean airline flies its first international flights since COVID. Blimey, that's been a while. Uh, North Korean's flagship carrier has flown its first international flight uh, since the pandemic. Air Koryo's uh, JS-151 left Pyongyang on Tuesday morning and landed at Beijing's capital airport at quarter past nine local time. Uh, data from real-time tracking service Flight Radar 24 showed. It's unclear who was on board the aircraft or how many passengers were on board. And travel agency Koro tours said the Pyongyang beijing route was reopened as a means for north koreans to get home according to uh, fr24 flight js151 was flown on a tuple of tu204 aircraft which can carry up to 210 passengers it's unclear uh, how many were on board and uh, coro news reported that uh, air coro's checking counter at beijing airport was packed with passengers Ooh. wearing North Korean flag pins on their chests and pushing trolleys full of baggage. On Monday, the Chinese foreign ministry said it had approved the resumption of Air Coro's flights to Beijing more than three and a half years after they were halted due to COVID border closures. 
Pyongyang has only recently resumed limited international passenger travel. And last week, a group of North Korean athletes crossed the border into China on their way to the Taekwondo World Championships in neighboring Kazakhstan. Russian and Chinese delegations were also in the North Korean capital in July to mark the 70th anniversary of the Korean War armistice, the first known foreign groups to be invited by the country since 2020. Now, Air Corio's fleet is an elderly fleet. No, that definitely is. Uh, believed to be of some 21 Soviet-era jets, uh, being the likes of the Aleutian 62, as Matt's showing on the screen for those of you watching in the world of YouTube. It's one of those countries, you know, you see on the old uh, programs on telly and you think, would I want to go to, to North Korea? It's just, it's something about it. When you see it on the TV, it's like... I mean, I'm sure it's a lovely part of the world. Yeah. It's nice to see on TV, but I think that's, yeah, as far as I'll go. I'm under, I'm guessing you've never ventured uh, to uh, to North Korea. <laughs> no. Uh no, I've never been to North Korea. I think if I went, if I stepped foot into North Korea, I would not come back from North Korea with my background and history. Oh, dear. But uh, yes, I have heard that it is a beautiful country, though. Mm. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, I mean, you know, I've, I've heard uh, I've heard reports that, you know, Russia is an absolutely beautiful country. <laughs> I have to say it wouldn't be on my go to list at the moment. Uh <laughs> No, no. <laughs> Indeed. And moving swiftly on uh, to the next story. Nev, uh, we haven't had a drone story for a, for a little while, but, uh, it, I mean, it was going to happen at some point, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I'm, I'm surprised we haven't heard uh, it more, actually. But uh, this is on simpleflying.com. It says that an America, uh, sorry, an Emirates Airbus A380 landing in Nice was damaged after reportedly striking a drone. One of the plane's wing slats suffered damage from the collision and the jet remains grounded four days after the incident. Uh, it was on uh, August the 18th, uh, flight EK-77 from Dubai International to Nice Côte d'Azur airport and touched down at 1308 local, seemingly without incident. However, upon landing, it was discovered that one of the A380's right leading edge wing slats had been damaged from a suspected mid-air drone, uh, drone collision. And these pictures are from uh, A6EOM via Flickr. Uh, and it says that uh, Emirates uh, spokesman told AeroTime that Emirates can confirm that flight EK-77 from Dubai to Nice on the 18th of August landed normally and passengers and crew safely disembarked. Upon landing, engineers discovered some damage to a slat in the right wing and the aircraft remained on the ground to undergo further assessments. France's accident investigation body, the BEA, has confirmed that it's looking into the incident, but has not confirmed the involvement of a drone. Emirates also stated that it had no information on the origin that caused the damage to the right wing. Uh, the affected aircraft registration, which was uh, Alpha 6 Echo Oscar Mike, remains in Nice four days after the suspected collision. Uh, the eight-year-old plane was delivered to Emirates in August 2015. Uh, it received a replacement part for its damaged wing on August the 20th, but the airline is keeping it grounded in Nice for now, stating that uh, safety is its main priority. Uh, the return flight to Dubai was cancelled and operated by a replacement aircraft the next 
next day. There's been a lot of concern regarding unauthorised drone activity in and around airports since drones became increasingly available to the public in the early 2010s. Uh, several near misses of commercial aircraft have occurred over the years, including British Airways Airbus A321 flying out of London Heathrow in December 2020. One of the most notorious drone-related incidents happened at London Gatwick in December 2018 during the busy Christmas travel rush. It forced the airport to close for two days, impacting 1,000 flights and around 150,000 passengers. Gatwick has since suffered several more drone incidents as recently as May of this year. Dublin Airport has also been an unfortunate target of regular unauthorised drone activity. In February, the airport was forced to suspend operations three days in a row due to repeated drone sightings. The airport has now resorted um, <clears throat> excuse me, to anti-drone technology, which, which works by jamming the frequency that drones use to operate. Now, of course, on the A380, there is a high-mounted tail camera. And I wonder whether, because uh, it just gives a complete view of the aircraft from the rear fin, basically, uh, um, rudder and uh, tail area of the aircraft. <clears throat> It'd be interesting to see um, whether that is recorded at all and whether any um, activity was picked up um, on that. But uh, another worrying development, isn't it? Yeah, it's surprising that the damage that it caused it's, on that. Actually. That's what shocked me, actually. I mean, as you say, I mean, they managed to land it without any real... Sorry, I'm going to pop it back. Uh, I know it was up for quite a long time, but, I mean, if you look at that, like, under... That, like, leading edge there on the on the left-hand side, um, I mean, that that's significant. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of redundancy, obviously, built in to aircraft for, for all sorts of, you know, uh, possible mechanical failures and what have you. But bearing in mind, you know, on, on approach, a, um, an A380 is probably doing 150 knots, something like that. And even if the drone was stationary, you know, that, that level of collision is going to do a lot of damage. And thank goodness it didn't go down an engine. Uh, that was the other thing. So, um, but uh, yeah, I, I, as we've said so many times, we're always going to have reports of this kind of thing going on. And it's, uh, it's frankly more by luck than judgment that something bad has not happened uh, already. Do you, do you have this issue in the States, Armando? Because obviously we, we do near enough 90% of the stories we talk about about um, drones that are in the UK, around UK airports. I mean, is it a big thing in the US with um, small UAVs? Absolutely. Absolutely. They're all over here. There's all kinds of uh, reports. The FAA has a task force dedicated to this, and uh, it is a constant. They've tried to solve it by additional training and we get pop-up tfrs or not tfrs sometimes it's a tfr we get pop-up notums but now like everything else notums you see a notum that gets all the way buried um so now when i fly in and out of any airport major or regional there's probably eight or nine notums dedicated to UAS or unmanned aerial system uh, operations. And that's just the ones that are actually doing the right thing and reporting it and going through the paperwork. But I'm sure there's thousands and thousands that are not going through that uh, process. Well, ironically, the ones that are causing the problems, of course, aren't the ones that, that you need to be worried about almost, are they? I mean, that's the thing. 
because the, exactly. the response that those who are bothering to register their drones and and that are likely to be the ones who are flying them completely appropriately and not doing anything they should do is the yeah policy. and and richard flag points out the majority of drones have geofencing built in mm. and i know you've talked about yours matt that that yeah. does have so you can't fly in restricted airspace but for me when i'm flying the cub i usually fly at a thousand feet yeah. And I'm not in any kind of airspace. I actually avoid uh, any airspace kind of in general, yeah. air, airspace. Like it's like the floor is lava. Um, so <laughs> I like to just go out and fly over the mountains and go fly over the lake. And I know that one of the things that I need to add to my cross check is not just birds anymore mm. flying down down yes. low. But you know, Carlos, when when we flew the Cub up to Virginia, we were at a thousand feet and. We saw plenty of birds, and and drones are probably operating in that same airspace, mm. yeah, or lack of the, airspace. The, the cub is not an A three eighty. Carlos, by the way, before we move on, um, you're on telly, by the way, again. Oh, I'm on TV. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're on in a pub this time. Oh, oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> I recognise that pub. Do you? Do yes. you? Yes, yes. Yeah. Andy was hoping to join us, by the way, but uh, uh, he's very relieved that he gave his apologies early doors because bedtime, not his bedtime, obviously, but Littleland's bedtime has taken an age. Bless him. Oh, <laughs> but well, he is now. With us. Yes, he is now in the in the in the uh, the 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 pub in the garden, enjoying a well-deserved beer. That's what we like. I don't blame you, Andy. Yeah. I am as well. Pint of Adnams, bitter here. Lovely. Oh, very good. Very good. And Armando, you've got a next story, and it's all about something you should never say when you're uh, on an aircraft. Yeah, speaking of relief, we are relieved that this didn't turn out to be a thing, but at 5.16 p.m. this last Monday, the police were informed of a report of a male aboard an aircraft at East Midlands Airport who stated that he was in possession of an explosive device. The aircraft was on the ground at the time of the incident. Officers worked with the airport staff and the aircraft crew to provide an immediate response to the report. In the interest of public safety and officer safety, armed officers were also deployed to the area of the aircraft. Uh, officers surrounded the plane, which was bound for Turkey. And following some instructions, which I'm sure were very directive, the man safely left the aircraft where he was arrested on suspicion of possession of an explosive substance. Uh, following the, the arrest, the aircraft was fully searched. No explosive device was found on board, and there was no suggestion that the threat made was viable. Uh, the flight was due to take off at 4.45 p.m., eventually left the airport at 8.15 p.m., and the man has since been released on bail. Uh, Yep, can't say the word, can't pretend, can't use no, it as a threat. No, and, and the photographs, um, I've, only, I've only got one here, actually. Um, but, I mean, it goes to show how very seriously they take oh, it. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, it, it was just like, and I think there was a video floating around as well, wasn't there? Unfortunately, we couldn't get permission for that one. But uh, it was, um, yeah, just just shocking, wasn't it? And it was, uh, what I, do you know what annoyed me a bit about the video, though? And I, I don't know if I should probably say Vertical? this, but... No, uh, no, 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 no. I, no, I, I, I understand why people do that now. But the thing that annoyed me was how, even though there is an armed response unit essentially that's got on the airplane to escort him and his partner off, 
he was grinning. It, he seemed to find it funny, even though there were two scary men there with guns, you know, and he sort of, you know, gingerly got his hands up and said, oh, no, this is all very funny. And it's just like, this is really not funny. I don't think you realise what they're going to do to you when they get you out of that airplane. <laughs> It was just, yeah. like, it really wound me up. It, the, how, how he, that was the thing for me. It's like, we all make mistakes. We all might, we're all guilty of making silly comments or, or whatever. <laughs> but it was the fact that he still thought it was funny, even though, because I, I would frankly have been absolutely bricking myself and essentially doing precisely as I was told. Do you know what I mean? For fear of actually being shot at because somebody's taken your joke very seriously. And it oh, just really wound me up. Really Speaking well, of yeah. funny comments, Ace Airstream in the chat room says, you also shouldn't greet your friend Jack sitting several rows back by calling out, hi, Jack. Ah, good point. <laughs> <laughs> good point well made. Yes, yes, a bit risky. <laughs> Certainly. Very yeah, good. Indeed. Like that. Not, not the Thank way you, forward, Ace. I think. Yeah, indeed. Hmm. Now, Matt, you've got the next story. And it's not always... Just kind of the you know the, the the normal staff who get their uh, their hands in the business on airlines, is it? No, indeed. And uh, if anybody, I, one of my favourite programmes, which I think started life in the US, and it's usually the US version I end up watching, um, which I, I think they call it Undercover Boss in the in the US and I absolutely love that program uh, it's uh, livemint.com is the source that we're using here uh, Lufthansa Airlines CEO Jens Ritter works as an additional crew member on flight uh, says and says sometimes you just need to Lufthansa Airlines CEO Jens Ritter has shared his first-hand experience on how he recently un went undercover and worked as an additional crew member on a flight in order to gain new insights on the job of being cabin crew. The CEO said he worked as a crew member and, a, and uh, accompanied Lufthansa Air Flight flight crew, uh, airlines flight crew, uh, heading to uh, Bahrain as, as an additional crew member. In his post on LinkedIn, he wrote, sometimes you need to change the perspectives in order to gain new insights. The 50-year-old CEO in his post revealed that he worked as a pilot but never had the opportunity to work as part of the cabin cabin crew. He added that the role of a cabin crew is not an easy one and was amazed how much there is to organise. That was so interesting and also challenging. I was amazed by how much there is to organise, especially if something doesn't go as planned. For example, the meals offered on the menu cards were not exactly the meals loaded on board, he wrote. Uh, he further added that he thought he knew about the challenges that come with a night flight. However, not working as cabin crew members showed him a totally different perspective as one has uh, to present attentive and charming all at the same time and I, I bet on a night flight that can be so tough sometimes uh, I used I used to fly as a pilot and so I thought I knew about the challenges of flight uh, during the night entails but to be present and attentive and charming with the biological clock that tells you you just want to go to sleep was something entirely different the crew was terrific and welcomed me into their arms right 
away with their support i was able to ha uh, give a hand in business class on the way back uh, and uh, in frankfurt uh, during the night i took care of our guests in economy class and honestly i enjoyed every moment further adding he said i was astonished how much i learned from these few hours deciding things in the office will be very different after really feeling the decisions on board thank you to the amazing crew the lovely guests and everyone involved for making this experience possible meanwhile on the 10th of august it was reported that lufthansa pilots are to receive pay rises totaling 18 percent in the coming years uh, with the german airline said that it would bring stability after strikes over surging inflation this was the latest hefty wage crease in europe's top economy as workers battle fast rising prices although there have been some concerns the deals could add to upward pressure on inflation the german flag carrier was hit by pilot and ground staff walkouts in 2022 that crippled operations although the uh, pilots had suspended strikes since late last year afp has reported um i, I think whether... we'll see ba ceo yeah <laughs> <laughs> they, they want to make sure they're not on the same flight as Nev. That that is a given, I think. <laughs> yes, oh, I'll I would have a word. <laughs> Absolutely, I think. This is, do you know? Genuinely, though, and as I say, and that's one of the reasons why I love that under undercover boss program because actually and i know some of it i suppose in the tv show is definitely going to be set up and all that kind of thing and i dare say that the flight um that was chosen for him because i doubt he chose it himself was probably one that they knew had got you know a, you know an a1 crew on it and all that kind of thing um but i do genuinely feel if you want to be a manager you need to be able to know how to do the job and you can't preach to someone if you don't know the rules and he's the first to admit in that article that there were some you know things that really took him by surprise um you know as you say he used to be a pilot he knew what it was like to be in the cockpit he'd done his fair share of that but i've said and i think we've all said haven't we the most underappreciated role in any airline has quite often been the ground crew and also the uh the 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 uh, the, the, the cabin crew because you know I, all right we you know there, there's that the, the awful joke isn't it because essentially they're busy selling you things on board and bringing your meals and that kind of thing but their primary purpose is to keep you safe in the event of an incident or an emergency mm. and that you know that's just such a huge a huge huge thing i i i do i just i mean i think everybody who listens to and watches this this program i have no doubt has the hugest amount of respect for for cabin crew but um yeah additionally question for nev ba do they use a third party for their gate agents or is it all company uh, at heathrow they use their own uh and outstations like dublin and edinburgh they use swiss port and uh, other um ground handling folks as well yeah okay uh i was wondering here in the US, it's not that common. Uh, the only ones that I've ever seen use a third party are the low cost carriers. Uh, all of the majors, all of the legacies, the gate agents and the support personnel are all uh, internal to the company. And it's funny because uh, just this last weekend, my friend Shelby, who you guys know, um, mm -hmm. she's a pilot for American Airlines and I were both in the back of an Uber. And it turned out that the Uber driver was a gate agent for American there at Charlotte. And we both said, man, we are so thankful for you because at least we're able, when things are going awry, we're able to say, well, I'm going to go to the crew lounge. 
Yeah. Bye now. You know, if there's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and those, those individuals are 99% of the time so patient. And, you know, we get frustrated here mm. probably more from the passenger standpoint or fellow passenger standpoint, but I have such respect for gate agents because they really are the face of the company. Um, you know, and Jeff, Captain Jeff talked about it on his show where for some reason, when there are delays and you're on the airplane, it tends to go much smoother. But when there are delays and you're in the gate area, people get super antsy and they get kind of mean. And really, they take all that out on the gate agents and the gate agents are just trying to do their best. It's not their fault no. that they're sitting in Washington, Dallas, and there's a snowstorm in Denver <laughs> and, and that their airplane's not there. They still no. get... You know, they take it like a like a hockey goalie. Indeed, indeed. Do you, do you um, remember, Matt, cast your minds back to the early 90s? Do you remember that series that used to be on, um, I think it was ITV, the one that was um, flying the wall documentary series about EasyJet? That was it was Airline? Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah, vaguely, yeah. Yeah, yeah you, that was a really, really popular series, and that, and that focused on the ground, you know, a lot of the ground, mostly the ground crew. And yeah, stuff. yeah, it did. Yeah. Well, mind you, I, I I preferred the Heathrow one, if I'm honest with you, because that was more about the airport rather than a specific airline. I have to be honest. Uh, uh, just uh, FYI, by the way, in the chat room there, Mazusa suggested that there's one uh, CEO who could definitely benefit from uh, having a go as being cabin crew, and I couldn't agree no, that, more. I'd love frankly, to see. I I don't know. Dare I say it out loud, or will we get sued? I don't know. Anyway, the suggestion is Ryanair CEO could definitely do with uh, perhaps uh, running oh, a, a flight, good. perhaps. Even if you did a short one from, say, let's say Stansted to Dublin, just to see what what pressure they're actually under. Hmm. It, just, um, couple... it just happened to be the flight that Nev was on. <laughs> Can you imagine? That would be funny, <laughs> wouldn't it? That, that would be, be an awful fun. lot of fun. I've <laughs> uh, got a that. couple of chat room comments. Oh, Masha yeah. actually brings up the fact, I wonder how that works in terms of liability when he's working as a flight attendant without the full flight attendant training even there as an additional crew member, in case of an emergency, passengers are going to look at him for guidance when he's not had the proper training. And we talked about that with that Delta Airlines evacuation off of the 757 where um, where we were talking about the hat, right? The, uh, the individual, the pilot wearing the hat, people are looking for somebody with either a yellow jacket or a uniform. Yeah. Um, so that's a very good point. And uh, Micah, the chat room says, we had a similar show here in the US, similar to that to airline and EasyJet uh, was filmed with Southwest Airlines. Okay, yeah, I bet, I that, realize, I bet right? that was interesting. They're probably real similar. Mm, well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I guess, both, yeah. both low-cost carriers and yeah, yeah but that's a good they are fun to watch. They are, especially when you get those passengers who are so frustrated and banging the the desks and mm. shouting. It was um, it's entertaining. There are clips on YouTube you can watch if you look if you look up airline on there. It's uh, proper retro. A retro um, series. Yeah, uh, Armando, uh, sticking with you for the love. Oh boy, Nev, are, you, are we ready? We're going to put on our karate headbands. Oh no, oh, I can't. <laughs> I can't wait for this. Oh hello. Here we go. On. What so, have I missed? What have I missed? Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Oh. So this next story from thestreet.com: American Airlines follows United Airlines in taking away a passenger perk. Uh oh. Uh, uh oh. There's a light, real question. light blue touch paper. Stand well back, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> the real question as to whether airlines are actually putting passengers first or being forced to make them a secondary priority. 
airlines have done very little to make air travel more comfortable, at least for those of us who fly coach or economy class. Southwest Airlines has largely been the exception to this as it only offers one class of seats and has worked steadily to improve passenger comfort. Full fare airlines, however, have not followed that model. United, Delta, American all want to sell upgraded fares. They make a lot more money, as we know in this show, selling business and first-class seats that the, than they do selling coach or economy seats. Um, airlines rarely fly with unsold first-class seats. So traditionally, passengers booked in coach get on a waiting list and pay to pay for an upgrade to any unsold higher-class seats. In recent years, uh, many airlines have used a bidding process for those top-tier unsold seats where the person who brings to the airline the most revenue gets upgraded. Makes sense. That doesn't always mean that the highest bidder wins. It's a combination of the bid, the bid, and the value of the seat being given up. If, for example, you have an aisle seat and somebody else has a window, you might win an upgrade with a lower bid because the airline can then charge a premium to someone else for the seat that you are vacating. And at the very worst, uh, airlines traditionally award unsold first and business class seats to top tier loyalty rewards program members, such as Neb and I. Uh, that does not increase revenue, but it does build a stronger bond with the company's best customers. Now, thanks to American Airlines' new contract with its pilots, passengers will lose access to some of those top tier seats the change was also part of United Airlines' new deal with its pilots from three years ago. So overall, both airlines are giving pilots a fairly massive, I like that, fairly massive, about 40% raise. That's happening because the U.S., of course, has this pilot shortage. Uh, there aren't enough pilots to go around, and training new ones takes so much time. Training schools and slots, uh, training slots in schools are limited. Um, and now one of the perks that they're written writing into these contracts is that pilots are now getting first class deadheading that is flying first class when not piloting an aircraft between segments that they're working on a trip um, it's a little bit different than commuting uh, commuting you are still kind of on standby and you'll go into economy but deadhead is where the company needs you to get from a to b and they are essentially making sure that you get there uh, traditionally, deadheading, you go back into economy or coach. So uh, I have varied thoughts on this. Uh, from a pilot standpoint, when I was commuting, uh, yeah, it's not great to be in the back of the airplane, uh, especially if you're in a middle seat, but that rarely happened. Usually the gate agents were able to put you in a... Uh, the last row or an exit row, somewhere where you could be of use to the company or to the crew. Um, I would have loved to have commuted or deadheaded in first class. But now that I don't fly for an airline, I actually bank on and I pick my flights. I purchase an economy ticket knowing that I've got a pretty good chance of getting upgraded to first class. And the reason I've done that or because of that, I almost always fly American Airlines. I fly exclusively because of the perks that they give me, because I'm a loyalty program, a long-term member, and I will pay more for a plane ticket on American because of the perks. And I will 
fly longer, you know, if there's a direct flight on United and there's a connecting flight on American, I will still fly on American because of the perks. So I'm a little angry pants about this one <laughs> because, um, man, I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I was kind of banking on those upgrades to first class, which is usually how I get around the country. And sometimes I even book an early flight or a late flight just because I know I'm going to get upgraded. Really? Oh, uh, we, we've got a late entry into the chat room. Owen has thoughts on this. But uh, first, let, let me hear your thoughts on this, Nev. Well, um, from a crew point of view, um, now, if you're deadheading, as opposed to commuting, there are obviously, as you mentioned, two, two different things. But very often, you, you might be deadheading because the airline have called you out because you've been on standby. Perhaps there's a, a crew member that's been taken ill and you need to uh, replace that person. So you might be doing a, let's say, a two-hour deadheading sector and then operating a, I don't know, an eight-hour sector, perhaps. So it's in the company's and the passenger's interest that you get there in as reasonable shape as you can. And surely that... that Again, that's a safety thing, isn't it? Uh, we know what you know. All the conversations about fatigue and uh, and pilot duty hours and what have you. But it, surely this, this is quite a, quite an important part of it. And I do get that that is different from from commuting. But I would have thought that they would have made sure that uh, if you are doing a, a deadheading because of uh, unexpected operational trouble you know within a set of flights then uh, you could get there uh, or get home in some cases as well if you've been called out uh, on duty because you wouldn't have to drive home afterwards very often so um yeah hmm. I, I agree with you all right so we've got uh votes and support matt Let's see what Owen is saying in the chat room here. Yeah, just give me a moment. I'm trying to, I've got a little bit of a, a bug that Read I'm trying it. to solve, but give me a moment. Well, I'll start, start reading. Start he reading says, it, uh, and I'll bring it up while we're He um, says, I've got a lot to say on this. This is for deadheading for duty, not deadheading for commuting or non-rev travel. And their priority on load is only going to be higher than the loyalty uh, upgrades, loyalty airline awarded upgrades. The thing is, it's not taking away from revenue because the airline would otherwise uh, have awarded those seats and would be losing money on those awarded upgrades. So, yeah, yeah, I get it. And and as a pilot, I would have loved to have deadheaded in first class, but as a passenger now, I'm just angry at it. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I get, I get why, right? Mm -hmm. I get why they're doing it. Yeah, it just relegates me back to the economy, <laughs> and that is frankly unacceptable. Uh... <laughs> well, I'll be happy to be upgraded into premium economy with with Emirates after seeing what their cabin looks like on the aircraft. Oh, okay. Their, pre their premium pro uh, premium economy product is um, very nice. Is it very nice? Is it okay? Yeah. Oh, very good. So that brings to a close the commercial news stories for this week. Lots of discussion there. Definitely lots of discussion there. Thanks to uh, Nev and Armando. And uh, yes, we, uh, well, 
we have got military news, but um, when are we going to? When should we do the book uh, quiz, Nev? Do you want to leave that till? Uh, till oh, the end? Do, it, like do it after the military. If we'll if do it after the military, shall we? Yeah. yeah how about yes, that? we have got some military news, and uh, as always, we're going to hand things over to Armando uh, to introduce that. All right. Well, I haven't said it in a while, but Matt, let's hit that button, but not too hard because it might eject us. All right. Well, a couple weeks ago, was it a couple weeks ago or one week ago that we talked about that MiG-23 uh, that uh, in Michigan that they ejected out of the aircraft? Was that last week that we talked about on the show? Um, okay. So the NTSB has actually just issued their preliminary report, and there's a little bit of controversy on this one, too. Yeah, so on August 13th, at about 15.15 Eastern Daylight Time, this MiG-23 UB, November 23 UB, uh, Uniform Bravo, was destroyed when it was involved in an accident near Belleville, Michigan. The pilot and pilot-rated observer received minor injuries. The, air, the aircraft was operated as a Title 14, Code of Federal Regulations, Part 91, Air Show Exhibition Flight. This flight was operating at the Thunder Over Michigan Air Show held at the Willow Run Airport in Ypsilanti, Michigan. Uh, the accident flight was scheduled to be the second to last act. Now, this, this accident airplane was privately owned, uh, Russian-designed military fighter plane, as we know, uh, with variable geometry wings that allowed the wing sweep angle to be changed in flight. And the aircraft was powered by a single turbojet engine with afterburner capability. Now... We get to the pilot reports. The pilot reported that the flight departed from runway 23 at Ypsilanti, followed by a right turn to a banana pass, which is a low level knife edge pass along with runway 23 or along runway 23. Following that pass, he started to bank the airplane and noticed that the engine afterburner did not ignite. The airspeed then began to decrease. He brought the swing wings forward to their fully forward position, which is a 16-degree sweep, to increase lift and began troubleshooting the problem. He was actively troubleshooting the problem when the rear seat observer stated that they needed to eject. The pilot reported that he was not ready to eject and was still troubleshooting the problem and maneuvering the aircraft towards runway 27 at Ypsilanti when his ejection seat fired and he was out of the airplane. He stated that if either occupant pulls the ejection handle, both seats eject. Of course, that's by design. Now, the rear seat observer stated that the airplane made a pass along the runway and that the plan was to go left for another pass, followed by a landing. He stated that the engine was not accelerating. He and the pilot had a brief discussion and began to climb up and gain altitude. They then determined that they had some type of engine problem. Now, this, keep in mind, this is the observer's statement and needed to get back on the ground. He stated that they determined they did not have sufficient altitude to make it to the runway at the airport. He said they were compressed for time and needed to get out. When asked if he had pulled the ejection seat handles, he stated that he could not specifically remember 
but he thinks he would have pulled them. Video evidence indicated that the plane was indeed in the left bank when the ejection seats fired, and the airplane continued in the left bank and descended into the ground about one mile south of the approach end of runway 27. Uh, the wreckage path was about 600 feet long. And uh, of course, there was a post-impact explosion and fire, which I think you guys showed the some video and pictures. So interesting now that the statements have come out that the NTSB says it was the pilot-rated observer that actually pulled the ejection handle. Lots mm. of discussion uh, on the internet forums about this one. And of course, what we don't know is who was the pilot-rated observer in the backseat? It could have been somebody just going for a joyride, or it could have been some old, you know, retired fighter pilot that knew better and was ready to punch. I don't, I don't, my gut instinct is that an average pilot just along for the joyride would not reach down for the ejection handle without the pilot in command actually saying to do so. So what do you guys think? Well, they're just after the old tie, weren't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I wonder who does make the ejection seat for the MiG-23. Mm. I, don't know if, I, don't think, I don't know if it's Martin Baker, actually. That would Probably be not. to find out. I don't think it is, but... Probably not. Micah, I, I bet you Micah will come up with an answer know, in the chat. Really interesting. Can you imagine the, the owner? Of course, the at the end of the day, they're both alive to to make statements to the NTSB, at least. So regardless of the fact that the aircraft was destroyed, uh, they are both, and nobody on the ground was hurt, uh, they are both alive to tell this story. So I wonder yeah. if there's a little bit of animosity between mm. the owner and operator and pilot of the aircraft and the passenger but again at least they're alive i mean there is that there is definitely that uh, captain cruz has said who the seat is manufactured by but i'll let you um say who the manufacturer is armando uh gotcha getutov bless you <laughs> <laughs> i must because we could have yes that could also be a breed of of dog in yeah, Russian, yeah, yeah. and we don't, we wouldn't know the difference. So, <laughs> Masha says, in Russia, the seat ejects you. Okay, we're a little political now. <laughs> Moving on, and uh, next story, please, someone quick. Oh, that's brilliant. Well done, Masha. Um, next one comes to us from Reuters.com. And it's, I mean, not being a, a huge military buff here, but one of my favorite aircraft is the F-16. It always will be. Uh, Norway will is uh, going to donate U.S.-made F-16s uh, combat aircraft to the Ukraine. Finally, it's happening. Uh, the Norwegian Prime Minister announced during a visit to Kiev on Thursday, joining an effort led by the Netherlands and Denmark. F-16s have been on the Ukraine's wish list for a long time because of their destructive power and global availability. The fighter jet is equipped with a 20mm cannon and can carry bombs, rockets and missiles. So how many F-16s will the Ukraine get? So Denmark uh, are going to deliver 19 jets in total with the initial 60 around the end of this year, uh, followed by 8 in 2024 and 5 in 2025. Uh, Danish Prime Minister Mette Fredriksen said on August the 20th. 
The Netherlands has 42 F-16s available, but has yet to decide whether all of them will be donated. Quite nice for someone to donate an F-16. Donate one to me if they like. Um, Denmark this month began training eight Ukrainian pilots in flying the jets, and the Danish armed forces said the eight pilots arrived at the Danish military airbase in Skrojstrup, along with 65 personnel will be trained in maintaining and servicing the jets. Greece will also take part in the training, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky said. And also from uh, the airandspaceandforces.com website, the U.S. will train uh, Ukrainian pilots and maintainers on F-16s at Morris Air National Guard Base in is it Arizona. Yeah, it is Arizona, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. In October, uh, Pentagon Press Secretary Air Force Brigadier General Patrick S. Ryder announced on the 24th of August. Uh, it's the most direct American involvement yet in the in international effort to equip and train Ukraine with fighter aircraft. Ukrainian pilots also received necessary uh, English language training at uh, Lackland Air Force Base in Texas in September, and, uh, which Ryder said. And then also the 162nd Air Wing at Morris trains foreign pilots on F-16s on a day-to-day -day basis. The 162nd Air Wing has trained pilots from 25 countries to fly the F-16 so far, according to the unit's website. But Ryder noted that in addition to the basic flying skills, there will be much to learn for Ukrainian pilots who have previously flown Soviet-era aircraft using different tactics than Western pilots. Experts have said Ukrainian pilots need to be trained in Western tactics uh, to be successful, especially to make the best of the US-made F-16 aircraft. Mm, I mean, it's safe well, to say, got it. there, are, there are a few of these F-16s about. Um, I know you've, you've got a, a desert somewhere in the US, haven't you, Armando, that's got a few oh, of there's, these. Um, there's got to be a, a hundred sitting out at Davis Month and at AMARC. Um, let's go back to the other story real quick. Nev, I think you figured out the pronunciation of the Russian ejection seat manufacturer. I did, yes. I, I thought everybody um, had got that. But do, uh, I, do I have to repeat it? <laughs> no, I think Carlos and I are just now getting it. Oh, dear. Yeah. It's made by Dave. There we go. Gotcha get out of. Gotcha get out of. Oh, I gotcha, see. Get out of. Oh, good oh, well, Lord. Right. That makes... That makes three of us, so you're the only one oh, that got it, Nev. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> That's just... Oh, oh, and this is why abort. we have a chat room. Moving yeah. on. <laughs> uh, right, Amanda, ah. you've got story number three. Uh, story number three. Brazil, we're going over there, is supposed to double its air fleet as part of a $10.6 billion investment. Uh, they're going to uh, do this with for uh, research development and equipment acquisition efforts for its military, including nearly doubling the size of its uh, Gripen fighter fleet and financing projects by a local aircraft manufacturer, Embraer, for aerial refueling aircraft, according to the government earlier this month. The government intends to invest 27.8 billion reals by 2026 in a an additional 25 billion reals uh, in a period after that without a specific deadline for the Brazilian Air Force. This plan involves the production and acquisition of 34 F-39 
Gripen fighters, which would almost double the country's fleet. Brazil signed a $5 billion US dollar contract with Swedish manufacturer Saab in 2014 for the purchase of 36 Gripens uh, for delivery by 2027. In 2022, the signatories added four more fighters to this contract. So of the 40 now on order, Brazil has received six with four in operation, and the contract stipulated that assembly for 15 of those F-39 Gripens would take place at Embraer's factory in Gavião Peixoto in the state of Sao Paulo. Uh, the deal also included a technology sharing agreement between Brazilian engineers and Saab. Uh, another program under the same effort, the purchase of nine C-390 Millennium aircraft, uh, initially known as the KC-390, uh, produced by Embraer, along with the development of a refueling version of that aircraft. Uh, besides its military role, the KC-390 can be used in national and international humanitarian aid actions, such as supporting public emergencies, natural disasters, and firefighting. Uh, the government website also announced that they are converting two Airbus A330 aircraft into aeromedical and aerial refueling aircraft. So Brazil getting a big injection of cash into its air force, and we should see some modernization there, which is kind of interesting because there really are kind of a powerhouse in aircraft manufacturing Embraer is. Um, I'm actually um, surprised that they hadn't done this earlier, but... Glad to see that they're going with Saab for the aircraft, kind of proven aircraft, the, the Gripen. They must have big banks to raise all that what, money. What, what is it about Saab that makes them so appealing then, uh, Armando? Um, well, I think as a smaller manufacturer, for some countries, I would think that it's actually easier to deal with the design, delivery, aftermarket process than dealing with Boeing or Lockheed. Right. Um, right. And to be honest, F-35s are expensive, very expensive. So for the money, you can get some really great aircraft like the Gripen um, that has been proven time and time again uh, without having to spend as much money as converting your your fleet over to f-35s or f-20 or not f-22s but f-15s or something like that so um i think bang for the buck you get a lot more and they're as a smaller aircraft manufacturer they're probably a lot easier to work with uh, for your specific needs mm. But again, I'm not spending billions of dollars. No, no, I know, I know. I was going to say, I just, I, just like, I, I don't know. I guess I'm sort of thinking, like in terms of military and stuff like that. You, you perhaps want to go with the, the, the big boys and girls because, I don't know. I, I don't know whether it would give you more reliability or, you know, um, more bargaining power if you like to get cheaper prices and stuff like that. Well, I mean, even the U.S. military doesn't always go to the big suppliers. You know, we have plenty of. In the U.S. Air Force, I've mentioned we had Pilatuses, we had mm. Cessnas, we have uh, Textron T6. You know, that's a, a Textron isn't a small manufacturer by any means, but mm. um, I think it depends on the mission. So if you're Brazil, what do you need your aircraft to do? If it's a limited air-to-air -air capability and you want it more as a mm. air-to-ground, then then you might not need something like a F-35. Um, Fair. 
I'm going to make a surprising contribution oh, my to goodness. this military section. Oh. I'm glad I'm sat down. Um, Saab, in fact, is a very, very competent, um, both what well, was a commercial aircraft manufacturer with the Saab 340 and the Saab 2000 turboprop aircraft, but they've got a tremendous track record in the military. And in fact, when I worked in Sweden, um, in fact, it's still there. Their, their main factory is in Linköping, right in the middle of Sweden between Stockholm and Gothenburg. And very often they were doing joint developments with BAE systems and this kind of thing. I'd see the, the guys from the factory in, in my local hotel or in, in the pub in the evenings and that kind of thing so and a lot of the the city itself uh, is um, um, in, um, populated by families you know mothers fathers sons daughters that, that work at the Saab factory and they've got a tremendous uh, capability there so um, yeah I, I think I'm going to be definitely ticking the box for that manufacturer oh look at that I am going to get you a flight suit name tag <laughs> <laughs> the chat room seems to agree. Uh, Jonathan Warner says that uh, it's a highly capable fighter without the massive price tag. Uh, Andy Wilson says that the Gripen is a solid, proven platform. Uh, Saab aircraft are built like aerial tanks. Um, and Micah says easier maintenance, especially off-field. So there you go. There's your answer, Matt. Well, there we go. <laughs> Carlos. Last one, yeah. wrap it up. Yeah, last one. This uh, comes to us from theaviationist.com. I hope Matt's got the pictures of this because this looks pictures? awesome. Uh, the Department of the Air Force announced uh, the selection of Jet Zero for the next phase of a blended wing body prototype. Uh, the air, this is a prototype aircraft project. August the 16th this was. The effort aims to mature... BWB technology and demonstrate its capabilities, giving the department and commercial industry more options for future platforms. With a design that differs from a traditional tube and wing aircraft, the BWB blends the aircraft body into its high aspect ratio wing, decreasing aerodynamic drag by at least 30% and providing additional lift. This increased uh, efficiency will enable extended range, more loiter time, and increased payload delivery efficiencies and capabilities that are vital to mitigating logistics risks, especially in a possible fight over the Pacific Ocean. Uh, the Californian startup, Jet Zero, unveiled a multi-mission design called Z5 Targeting. The mid-sized commercial unit and military tanker transport markets back in April uh, uh, this year. The BWB first appeared as a concept back in the late 1980s, but so far has failed to gain traction despite promising performance uh, projections. Uh, now, Jet Zero believes this configuration is best suited for current mid-size airliner market and US Air Force needs. Uh, Jet Zero's Z5 design, according to the Aviation Week's report, is optimized for a range of at least 5,000 nautical miles and up to 250 passengers. The all-composite aircraft has a wide single deck and a high aspect ratio wing, although this extends the wingspan close to 200 feet, similar to that of an A330. Uh, the body length is shorter than a Boeing 767. Despite the overall length, Jet Zero says the mid-market aircraft will be about half the weight and require half the power uh, that the aircraft it replaces, such as the 767. Now, the pictures on the screen are stunning. Really are stunning, Armando. 
Yeah, it's pretty cool. I and from the first picture, the one in the military livery, it wasn't really apparent to me uh, how clear or how I guess kind of the, the the seating would be inside the aircraft. But in that third picture, where they're where they're showing it in sort of a commercial configuration, you can see that it's a, probably about the size of a well wingspan wise. A, bigger than a 767 but mm. but uh probably some strange configuration of uh diamond you know diamond two two first class seats and then four and then six and then eight and then maybe 10 across <laughs> with two or three aisles looks pretty wide um really interesting i wonder how many seats across there are in the commercial configuration i'm just trying to find where the rudder is on that um first picture armando well, it doesn't look like it has one. I think it uh, probably works just like a B-2 or a B-21 Raider with its uh, sort of, um, I don't know, I forget, flaperons or whatever they're called. Flaperons yeah. is what we called it on the Osprey. <laughs> Very so, cool airplane, though. It does look like a cool airplane. Hopefully, we'll get to see it at some point before we uh, all retire. Uh <laughs> Now, Nev, you have got uh, a the book competition, which is, uh, there's a lot going on with this this week, isn't there? Well, the whole show's been full of controversy, and uh, let's not stop it now, because we're into the competition, and we've got some interesting things to talk about. So, first of all, uh, last week's question was, uh, well, we all know Matt's favourite aircraft is the Boeing 747. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> British Airways operated a fleet of these aircraft on the UK shuttle routes and medium haul operations for many years. I certainly enjoyed travelling on them. Uh, how many 757s did BA operate in total? The answer is 46, and we have a winner uh, of the book. Uh, the book is uh, Stanford Tuck, Hero of the Battle of Britain, which is written by Helen Doe. And the winner this week is John Falk. We've got your address, John, so I'm going to send this to you first-class post tomorrow. However, on exploring other parts of the internet, there is a bit of a difference of opinion how many uh, aircraft were actually operated by Ooh. BA. And both Bill Aronek and Richard Adams says that there were 61 of these aircraft. So I'm not in a position to judge either way. However, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send a copy of the Red Arrows programme to Bill and Richard, um, which we picked up at last year's Jersey International Air Display. These were kindly donated to us by uh, display manager Doug Smith. Um, so I'm going to send you, Bill, and you, Richard, a um, copy of this each uh, to you. It's a really interesting story of the red arrows uh, the display teams lots of excellent pictures inside really worthwhile and um yeah we enjoyed reading them didn't we carlos we yes very much indeed. Um, so i'm going to send you one each as well um because we don't like to see anyone go home empty <laughs> empty but i'm going to send the main prize to john Falk. because that's the answer you had on the card essentially 
It is, yeah. as I say. Um, both Bill and uh, Richard gave us a number of 61, and there are several references to it on various parts of the internet that say they did operate 61. So um, I'm trying to be fair to everyone here. Very good. That's how we are. <laughs> very good. Very have we good. got a competition for this week, Nev? No, we haven't, uh, due to... Um, operational difficulties, shall we say. Operational difficulties. <laughs> uh, however, we'll be back with a new competition uh, next week uh, when we'll be diving into Carlos's Ooh. collection of books this time, because I've run out. So um, oh, right. uh, he's not short of uh, interesting things to send out. So we'll come up with a new question for next week, and then we'll see how we go. Very yeah. good. Very Excellent. good. Well... We didn't do a caption this this week because oh, I've. Uh, <laughs> I know it's horrible, isn't it? I, I've, uh, as probably most of you will know, the sh on the uh, the listeners and stuff will know. I started a new job a few weeks ago, so I've been head down mostly in paperwork and computers over the last few weeks, especially this week. And um, yeah, it's safe to say I'm getting my head round a completely different uh, work ethic for the company I work for now. But uh, it's all good. Uh, but Caption Us will be back next week, all being well. So keep your eyes on social media next Wednesday uh, when we post a picture on there uh, for you to comment on. But uh, no, we're, we're coming up to the top, well, towards the top of the hour now. We're, we've uh, going to have a round robin, I suppose, to find out what's going on. Obviously, Armando, you've uh, been missing for a few weeks now, but... Um, You've, uh, have you had any exciting adventures, uh, aviation-wise, whilst you've been away? Uh, thankfully, no. I think <laughs> excitement in aviation is, uh, is generally not, not is indicative of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of something going wrong. Actually, no, the, the, the flying has been mostly calm. I think the weather's simmering down a little bit from... Uh, the last time I was on the show, we were just fighting weather left and right pretty much every day here in the southeast U.S. Um, I did get a trip up to Rochester, Minnesota, which all of the av geeks that follow Mike Patey and his YouTube channel. Uh, Mike Patey uh, is a builder of really, really unique aircraft, and he had built this Lancer Legacy with a PT-6 uh, turboprop in it 850 horsepower engine and he had an engine failure at 20 something thousand feet oh, on his way wow. to oshkosh yeah great video go look at his youtube channel mike patey uh the way that he remained calm and spoke with air traffic control while picking an airport and getting the airplane uh, keeping in mind this is a, a very much off the reservation kind of airplane there's not a lot of numbers published for it so it's not like you have a best glide or anything like that you just kind of fly it by the seat of your pants. Uh, he did get it back down onto the ground safely with no engine and uh, even taxied it and it was sitting in a hangar. So I got to see the uh, turbulence is the name of the airplane in the hangar. That was pretty cool. And uh, and then the other kind of cool thing was that uh, Stearman photo flight that we did. Um, I think you guys saw some of my pictures on social media and I sent them to you. That was really, really neat to... Uh, um, to fly formation with the steerman over Lake Norman. And that photographer ended up giving each of us a probably five, four foot by five foot acrylic print of our aircraft in flight. So really, really neat. And uh, what have you got planned for the week 
ahead, Amanda. Any more uh, flying? Uh, yeah, I'll be here in Knoxville until Sunday. And then I think we've got a trip in the Hawker to Panama City next week, which is always nice to go to. And uh, I think we've got one other trip to Myrtle Beach or something like that. So the usual destinations. Excellent. And the Cubs going well. Flying like a champ. Wait, I guess it's not a champ. It's flying better than a champ. Flying like, flying a, like cub. a cub. Yeah, quite yeah. absolutely. <laughs> what about you, uh, Nev? What's going on in the world of Nev next week? Any uh, flights back? Uh, no flying next week, but the week after I'm off to Stockholm for most of the week. Uh, but no, next week it's our sales meeting for the company down in Brighton on the south Ooh. coast. Uh, our big boss coming over from Dallas as well, so it'd be nice to meet him again. Uh, so I've got to have my hair cut on Saturday Ooh, to make sure it's neat and... Uh, Crisp my... shirt for that one, Nev. Yes, I think that that, that is definitely a prerequisite. Mm. Um, but yeah, busy week for work next week, and then, I say, the following week, uh, off to Sweden for a few days. <laughs> Andy, Wilson is asked, uh, uh, Andy, Andy Wilson is asking, how's the iPhone, Carlos? <laughs> <sighs> Ah. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a useful music player it's a useful music player well that's very very nice and by the way if you if you missed the artwork from last week by the way uh, oh, just, so, just, uh, just so that you could see sterling work there by john i shall i shall keep this in the in the armory for uh, anyway uh, I, anyway uh, so uh, matt comment. you matt you are off to see john tomorrow I can am. i just yes. can i just say indeed uh, on behalf of all the team and the chat room don't forget to say a big hello to uh, John I will, when you I see will, him I tomorrow. Will pass, I will pass on the love. I absolutely will. Uh, can I just say, by the way, comment of the evening uh, for me goes to Captain Ridiculous Wits, as it often does. Uh, it's usually shared between, <laughs> between loads of them. But uh, as I say, today I think Captain Ridiculous Wits has the win. It's just like Nev basically became Oprah there for a minute. You get a Red Arrows book. You get a Red Arrows book. <laughs> <laughs> Sharing the love. That's what we love. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Excellent. There we go. And uh, next week, I shall be mostly working myself. Although today, I will just point out that this afternoon, I had uh, two. I don't know quite why there was just only two, but I had two of the Royal, uh, the Red Arrows uh, display team fly over uh, around a thousand feet, which was quite interesting to see flying over. But I don't know whether you heard them, Matt, or not when you were. No, I, I've had a bit of a busy day, to be honest with you. I, okay. I, I barely came up for air most of the day, to be honest. <laughs> talk, about, talk about throwing me at the deep end. <laughs> yes. Now, before we wrap up, um, I know he's, he was in the chat room very early on. That I think he literally dipped in and dipped out. But before we wrap up the show, can I just say uh, that tomorrow um, it is uh, a big day for one of our, uh, our um, well, our community members uh sturman you may have seen him in the chat room uh, tomorrow is his big day his big wedding day uh, so sturman's getting married tomorrow to the lovely mel so uh, on behalf of all the team here at the show big congratulations to sturman for tomorrow um i am off to the wedding and i've been invited as a guest which is lovely i'll be able to go and see uh, sturman and uh, he's i've got a, a couple of little surprises lined up for uh, for sturman for tomorrow so i'm, I'm i know he's going to enjoy that immensely but uh, yeah so all the best for tomorrow and looking forward to that and also hopefully uh, matt might pop over as well in the evening and uh, and come and see us as well so that'll be good mm. indeed <laughs> so 
that is where we're going to wrap up the show for this week. Thanks to everyone for tuning in as always this week. Thanks to all the chat room for tuning in and taking time out your Fridays uh, to come and see us. Now, Nev, for the benefit of those listeners who may who may not have found out where we are online, where can they go? Yes, of course. If you all you've got to do is search social medias for Plain Talking UK, uh, and you'll find us on Facebook, Twitter or X, as they call it these days, and Instagram. Uh, WhatsApp number is plus 44 757 224966. That's plus 44 757 224966. That goes straight into the studio, and uh, you can send us uh, pictures, comments, or whatever you like, as long as it's uh, family-friendly, of course. Uh, you can email the show, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com, and the website is plaintalkinguk.com. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, of course. You'll get notifications when we go live. And just go to youtube.com and search for Plain Talking UK. You can also become a patron of the show as well. That helps us with the running costs of the show, the media hosting costs, the website costs, the cabling costs, all the usual things that, that break and go wrong. Uh, all the details are, are on our Patreon page uh, on uh, uh, plaintalkinguk.com and you can see all the details on there. Also, don't forget, on Sunday the 17th of September, we are going to be at the Duxford Battle of Britain air show for the second day. So uh, I know we've got some listeners coming along for that. Uh, we'll get some sort of plan together and we'll uh, post some details on that when we have uh, worked out what time we're going to be there and what we're doing. But uh, yeah, if you're around the area or you're coming in specially, 17th of September on the Sunday is when we're going to be at Duxford. Yeah, hopefully we'll see as many of you all there as we can. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page as well, where there is a little post on there we put uh, about uh, what that date is and uh, where you go to Duxford to get there. Uh, Going to say a big thanks quickly before we go to the guys at the air ambulance here. Um, for those of you who follow me on social media, know that I donated money to the uh, air ambulance at the East of England Air Ambulance this uh, year. Sent me a lovely little card with a lovely little uh, note to say thank you and stuff. So thanks to all the guys there. A great charity here. I know uh, it's one of our favourites here, isn't it, Matt, in uh, in East Anglia with the air ambulance. So, um, yeah, thanks for that. So that is where we're going to bring episode 469 to a close. Thanks to all the team. Thanks to everyone who's worked behind the scenes. Thanks to Nick and John for all the work this week. And Armando, Matt and Nev. We'll see you next Friday. All being well, back here at 7 o'clock on YouTube for episode 470. Blimey, guys. So to have a great weekend, whatever you're up to. Take, uh, fly safe and uh, enjoy the sunshine. So, from us all here, say goodbye, everyone. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye, y'all. Bye,